and welcome into another episode of Turn the Corner, a Detroit Tigers podcast. I'm Kieran Stegley. With me, as always, your favorite beat writer for The Athletic. And let me tell you, his writing quality is equivalent to Tim Anderson batting against the Tigers. He is Cody Stavenhagen. How you doing? Doing all right. I'm going to take that as a compliment. Um, Tim, Tim Anderson crushes. So we saw that again uh, Sunday, no doubt. Well, you know, Cody crushes, Tim Anderson crushes, and I gotta be honest, uh, if he got traded somewhere, preferably in the National League, I'm not sure I'd be all that upset, because <laughs> it's uh, it's kind of like Nelson Cruz last year when he got traded. I was like, oh, thank God, I don't have to have the anxiety of watching him bat against the Tigers anymore, and uh, Tim Anderson, what was it, first pitch? First oh, pitch yeah, double? I, I'm watching Anderson, <laughs> you know, his first game of the year, he's back. From the two-game suspension, he was serving as a result of the Tigers, White Sox, whatever it was, at second base, you know, late last season. And I'm like, oh, man, here's here's Anderson, here's Scooble. He especially kills Scooble. Like, what's going to happen, you know? How's this How's this battle going to play out? How's Scooble going <laughs> to attack him? Fastball, boom, double. Like, Tim Anderson's on second base. Like, I barely, like, had time to look up, you know, and, and he was on second base. That's how it goes. Yeah, wasn't his only at bat no. and uh, or excuse me hit of, of the game hard hit ball of the game he certainly is a uh, tiger killer for sure um, this weekend Cody as I'm sure everybody knows dropped two out of three to the White Sox but did have a really exciting opening day so before we get into like sort of some very short analysis and again we're we're gonna emphasize this a lot today yeah we are. three games we're not. We're not going to overreact, but we're going to have some fun. We're just going to talk about what we saw. Uh, but there's only going to be one opening day this year. It already happened. And from what I could tell on uh, watching the game on my iPad while pretending to work on Friday, it seemed like a hell of an experience, a crazy way for a game to end. And it kind of had all the ingredients of... Uh, of what we could expect from the Tigers this year and what we could hope for in terms of energy in the ballpark and all that stuff. But you were there. You you saw the whole thing. You were there from start to finish. Uh, you, you wrote what I thought was a perfect encapsulation of that game, that day, the players involved. Uh, that's available on The Athletic. If you're a subscriber, you can read that. Um, but reflecting on a little bit a couple days uh, later, Cody, what was opening day 2022 in Detroit? What, what did you see? What did you feel? Oh, you're right. You only get one, and, and the Tigers and Tigers fans made the most of it. It really could not have gone much better other than maybe the weather, but I think you just expect opening day in Detroit to be god-awful weather. I think that's part of the part of the deal, you know? Gives the fans an excuse to have some drinks and stay warm, so... You know, I did a little lap around the concourse on opening day, and it was pretty lit. The beer was flowing. I like everyone I walked by had a beer in their hand. You know, I was like, oh, "Wish I could get a beer right now." <laughs> uh, you know, just tried to take in the atmosphere a little bit. It seemed really good. That was even before the game. Obviously, the Tigers got off to a really slow start. It was kind of sleepy. It was like, "Oh, is this going to be a, a letdown?" Kind of a buzzkill. No, it was not. You actually had almost every storyline you could possibly ask for from Eric Haas, the hometown kid with a uh, big home run, Miggy with a two RBI blue pit, you know, even Torkelson playing some uh, some clutch defense, and then, of course, Javi Baez with the ball that, 
that hits the wall, you know, who else to hit the walk off other than your, your big signing, like all the storylines came into place and the Tigers also had to work their asses off to stay in that game. I think I wrote this in my story, but that was the type of game where mm, 2019, 2020, Seems like once you get to about the fifth inning and you go to the bullpen, you just expect it to blow up and you end up losing, you know, like nine to two or something. And that didn't happen. You know, the Tigers kind of stabilized and kept kept scratching and clawing until they got some runners on and had a chance to do some damage. And then they did that damage, you know, and, and then got a couple of timely hits in the right places, obviously. So it was super exciting. I thought Javi Baez... Uh, capped it off really well with his his interview with Bally Sports and kind of, you know, pumping up the crowd and going, let's go Tigers. Uh, I don't think you could set the tone for the year any better than that. Well, what's funny about the opening day game was if you you just kind of looked at how it played out, it felt very 2021 Tigers. Mm -hmm. You know, the A.J. Hinch Tigers grinding out, finding a way to win, making the right moves at the right time with the bullpen. But then if you look look at, uh, like, the plays that were made, other than Miguel Cabrera, Jamer had a a clutch hit. Like, you have Meadows with the triple, obviously. Baez with the physical walk-off home run. And then Haas, who obviously he was on the team last year, but he wasn't on the opening day. So it was kind of one of those weird mixes between same old Tigers in terms of what we saw post-May 8th last year, but with the new faces. I'm not sure if that's a good indication or a bad indication. In a way, you, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. In, in a way you think like you, know, you always like to see the team kind of find a way to win, but then also it's like, well, you made all these upgrades. It, theory you don't want to do that too much you know yeah i think by the end of a three-game series we started a clear reminder there's still a talent deficit between the tigers and the white Sox. you know just look at the batting orders like who are you really afraid of in the tigers lineup got some good quality hitters but i don't know that there's anyone who you really fear and if i'm a pitcher i fear tim anderson and i fear jose abreu and i definitely don't want to mess up to Luis robert and you know, Yohan Mankata is not even in their order. Um, but I, I think... Pollock looked good. Yeah, yeah, Pollock. I think you did see that there's a world in which the Tigers can beat the White Sox if if they continue to make all those right moves. I think they have to play that brand of kind of scrappy baseball to beat the White Sox because although they are improved, they are simply top to bottom not quite as talented. Um, I thought it was almost a good sign Saturday. I did not think the team played very well. I didn't think they really deserved to be in the game, but for a while it was following a very similar script to the Friday game where Casey Mize has a so-so start, but kind of hangs in there, gives the guys a chance, and they finally get Dylan Cease out of the game, and, and you know, you're wondering if they can mount a little bit of a rally, and I think it was one of Cease's last batters. Robbie Grossman hits a two-out line drive to first base that Abreu kind of has to reach and snag. If that gets down, um, I think two runs probably would have scored. It might have been a, a totally different game. Of course, they didn't get that one little break that could have changed everything. But I liked the way they hung in in that game, despite making some mistakes, despite really not playing great baseball. Then on Sunday, uh, obviously, it was ugly. Tigers made a lot of mistakes. It was not good. They only picked up two hits. Uh, but you but you didn't get very good starts. I mean, you got 
subpar starts, I think, from all three of your guys. And in theory, you hope that's not going to be the case all year long. If Mize and Scoop will get going, if Eduardo does a little more of what he should, if those guys are pitching into the sixth and seventh, um, you know, I think your chances against the White Sox look a lot better. So that's a long-winded way of saying, I don't know. Like, I think this team is better, but I also think it's important that they uh, that they maintain some of that 2021 Tigers style. I think that's still going to be necessary to beat kind of the upper echelon of, of you know, playoff teams. Yeah, so White Sox began the season and then uh, starting Monday got a series against the Red Sox. It's And then Yankees shortly thereafter, they go to Kansas City. It's actually a pretty front-loaded uh, schedule in a way. Um, so that's something that I think everybody kind of needs to keep in mind. But but that being said, I, I was trying to kind of summarize my my general thoughts in a, in, a, in a couple words. And I just didn't really feel like they were that sharp, I think is kind of what I kind of came down to they just they weren't that sharp eduardo didn't look very sharp casey mize didn't look very sharp obviously scooble wasn't sharp uh these are just fun numbers to throw out there i'm not trying to overreact or anything but you want to list your eras for your first three starters uh (laughs) after the weekend uh eduardo rodriguez 6.75 casey mize 7.2 and scooble 9.82 obviously those numbers will go down but i just kind of felt like we talked a lot before the season about the pitchers are, you know, they're ready and, uh, you know, did we really need spring training to be this long? If you were of the opinion that shortened spring training was not a good thing, this would have been evidence to support your claim. Uh, not saying that's really the whole picture, but that would be something that you could say. And I will say this, though. I did like, I mean, all three guys, but probably uh, Eduardo and Casey more than Scooble, but Scooble did too. Kind of gutted out this a little bit. They for sure. they didn't ha- they didn't have their stuff, and for a while was looking like, are we getting, are we getting three, are we getting three innings out of these guys, and they were able to gut out and get that extra inning, um, which is crucial right now with a depleted bullpen. So if I'm looking for some positives, even though they didn't have their best stuff and uh, they weren't, they didn't necessarily seem as ready as I kind of thought they were, especially given how they looked in spring. uh, The mental fortitude, I thought all three of them showed a decent bit. Yeah, I I, I would like to get to the point with Mize and Scooble where we can be done talking about, oh, well, they, they they showed some mental fortitude. That's what we've been saying since they were called up, and at some point it's like, okay, if you want to be a actual frontline starter, you have to put together good starts, not not have your stuff and grind your way through five. That's going to happen a few times a year, uh, but it, it seems like that was kind of the story of them a lot last year um, for them to take a step. Just be nice for them to show up and have their A game um, more consistently. All that said, look, a lot of guys, pitchers like to say, you're going to have 10 starts with uh, your great stuff, 10, 10 starts with terrible stuff. It's what you do in the middle that really matters. Well, if they had their um, terrible stuff or kind of B-grade stuff, maybe you already got one of those out of the way. You know, Maybe in some ways it can, yeah. only, it can only go up. I think that even includes Sunday's game. 
every team is going to have some brutal games over the course of 162. And the Tigers got one of those out of the way already. Um, for some added perspective, look, if you would have told me, okay, you're going to get, uh, if you would have told me Eduardo goes four innings, Casey Mize goes, what, five plus, Tarek Skubal goes four innings. I would have believed, oh, so the Tigers got swept by the White Sox. You know, I could have believed that. Well, no, you went one and two, you know, respectable. If you would have told me those innings from the starters, I would have said, oh, so your bullpen is just shot going into their Boston series and you got seven more games in seven days. You, you could be in some trouble. And that's not the case because the bullpen, really everyone, I think with the exception of Jason Foley, pitched really well. Even in Sunday's game, Elvin Rodriguez went multiple innings. Um, you didn't really burn your arms. I think you're going to go into this Boston series with pretty much everyone fresh and ready to go. And I think that's super, super key, especially given the, again, the short starts you had. So it could be worse. Yeah, and I, yeah. And, and I think also, like, the class of the division was in town, and they showed themselves to be the class of the division. I don't necessarily yeah. think that that's something that should be overlooked either. Uh, not just a talent discrepancy, but just, you know, they're the head dogs, man. They're the top dogs, mm-hmm. and in a way, in a way, you can feel good about sort of stealing a win and coming a break here or there from honestly winning this series. Uh, not really worth much in the long run, but in terms of how you feel, um, I don't think it's something that can be uh, discounted. Um, but in regards to the pitchers, though, and the short and spring training and, and time and all that stuff, we got our first look at Tucker Barnhart uh, calling games. And I'm not ever going to claim that I have an eye for that. I just, that's not something I've ever really tried to hone in on Mm -hmm. but i know you do have an eye for that and again two games we're just going two games so where this is not an overall indictment but we now do have at least we 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 see a sample size with this so how much of pitcher struggles is the game being called how much is it time spent or lack thereof it's a new catcher uh, like what is there anything to make of our first experience seeing uh, a well-respected catcher calling this staff for the first time? It's a little bit hard to tell because I definitely wasn't overly impressed with the way any of these games were called. And it's kind of like, okay, so how much is that on Tucker and how much is that on, you know, the pitchers weren't, weren't uh, hitting their spots. I mean, Eduardo Rodriguez had very little command um, I mean, his cutter got crushed. I think if I recall in that game, I would have went away from his cutter a lot sooner, but he really had nothing working. There was a lot of nibbling around the edges and, and he wasn't getting some borderline calls. And when you're down on the count, you know, your options as a catcher come limited as to what you can call. It was Eric Haas who caught Casey Mize. And I think there are times Mize sequences his stuff really well. And when he's at his best, he has multiple pitches working and he didn't super have multiple pitches working. He could not spot the the arm side fastball. Um, he actually did get in some leverage counts more than he got in 10 two strike counts and and allowed three hits in those counts and only two strikeouts. He didn't have the splitter really going as the put away pitch. Uh, I wonder if he could have gone more slider. I think the big indictment was Sunday, Tucker Barnard calling Tarek Skubal. 
Scooble was very fastball changeup heavy. I think when Scooble is at his best, uh, the slider is kind of his second pitch or, or definitely his strikeout pitch. And I think he only threw seven sliders, six sliders, seven curveballs, and, and none of them were really remarkable. In um, Scooble and AJ Hinch kind of both said, you know, they wish he could have gotten more slider, more breaking ball in hindsight. I'm not real sure why that was. Some of it might have been count, you know. I think Scooble slider can be a chase slider at times. Can't really throw that chase slider for swing and miss when you're going, when you're going, uh, you know, like a ball to strike count when you're behind in the count. So Scooble again had poor command. That makes it harder to call a game when you have three starters who aren't spotting their fastball. But I didn't. I I felt like especially with Scooble, like it didn't felt like a catcher who was really in sync with his pitcher. And could that be a consequence of the shortened spring and how little time he had to get to know these guys? I mean, I think that is that is possible to some degree. I think it will, will take more time, even to maybe from a mentality standpoint. You know, they say the best catchers have a way of being able to settle their pitchers down or use certain cues to help their pitchers find their command or whatever. Uh, maybe as the season goes along, that's the type of thing you would want to see from a veteran guy like Barnhart. Uh, I think it is, yeah, way too early to criticize him or knock him or anything like that. But it was, I was definitely unimpressed by pitch sequencing. Let's just put it that way. Well, okay, so when when you hear the manager or the pitcher or the catcher like post game being like, "I wish we would have called more sliders," to me, that's I don't know how to read that because you fully have the capability of doing it yeah uh and and if everyone's on the same page is that we should have thrown more sliders and it this this could be any pitch for any pitcher on a you know particular day or whatever part of me is like why didn't you then like why did you just generally speaking how does like when everyone's kind of on the same page that we should have done this relatively simple thing and you hear that as a reporter and someone who analyzes the game like, how does that read to you? Because to me, it kind of reads like, well, that seems like a simple fix. It's not like you're asking him to, you know, increase his velo. Like, you know, you could have just, like, called that yeah. pitch more. Because, like, you know, maybe counts and all this stuff. But if you're acknowledging you should have done it anyway, in the moment, you have a lot of time in between innings. You could talk about this. I'm sure I'm, I'm sure they did. But it's just kind of like a weird thing to say, in my opinion. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, I... I AJ came in and the first thing he said about Scooble was that, you know, the pitch usage was a little funky. There weren't a lot of breaking balls. And I followed up with like, you know, why do you think he went away from the slider? Was it, he didn't have feel for it? Was it a product of the counts he was in? And AJ, who pretty much always has a very detailed answer to everything was like, yeah, I don't know. You'd have to ask him, but in hindsight, you know, probably should have used it a little more. We'll talk about it. <laughs> it was, usually AJ has some grand explanation, you know, and I, I asked Tarek the same thing, and he said, yeah, I don't know. In hindsight, uh, we probably should have used it more. I know part of it was the changeup was a big plan, a, a big part of the game plan. Chicago has a very right-handed heavy order. Um, Tarek being able to throw a left-handed changeup, kind of run it down and away from righty batters, could be an asset. And so maybe they tried too hard to force that into the game plan. But I also thought they got away from who Tarek is as a pitcher. Part of that was the velocity. I mean, Tarek, Tarek at his best, again, is 95-plus with a nasty slider. Instead, he was more 93, 94. 
hit 91 a few times. I don't know what was up with that. And that's another thing. AJ's got this, like, basically just can't ask AJ about velocity anymore because I think he just doesn't want his pitchers to obsess over it. But if you ask AJ about anyone's velocity, he just says he doesn't care, which I know is not true. I know he absolutely <laughs> cares, but, he, you know, it's it's like the media, when the camera's on and the recorder's on, he, he claims, oh we, oh, we don't care about velocity. Well, when Tarek Skubal's throwing 91, yeah, you do care about velocity because Skubal should be sitting 96, 97. Like, come on. Um, so that's, that's all the way of saying Scruple just wasn't himself. And I'm sure that factored into his weird pitch usage and maybe trying to force, uh, what you knew was a big asset in the change up. You're right though. I mean, yeah, throw some sliders, but again, his slider is a chase pitch best used in leverage counts. I, and I don't think he was in many leverage counts at all. And in fairness, also when you're calling a game, you don't have, you know, like there's a 40-second play clock in football, right? You don't have that much time to co- sort of, like, think of, like, what, you know, what pitch, location, situation, hitter, all these things. Like, it's 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 more, I don't want to say it's a snap decision because obviously there's a lot of, like, research and, and prep work that goes into it. But it is something that you decide relatively quickly. So, sure. in, fa- in, in fairness. Uh, you also got your first glimpse. Uh, Tigers don't do this, but the White Sox do with the electronic thing you have any opinion on that the electronic uh, thing all right everyone it's called pitchcom we're gonna call it pitchcom we're not gonna be like jim price and say it looked like he pulled out a telephone uh, (laughs) which is what jim said on the right and i was like that's yes it's funny because number one it's not a telephone number two no one even says telephone anymore like who says telephone like we just we just call it a phone in, in today's uh lingo you know so that that actually had me cracking up yeah, they had a couple issues with it. Uh, I don't know if it... I, I don't fully understand how the thing works. I mean, some buttons, I don't know. I haven't actually like seen one up close or held it in my hand or anything. Seems like it, it stopped working on them a couple times, uh, which kind of defeated the purpose because then there was a delay game, whatever. Mm-hmm. I like the idea of a pitchcom. Uh, I think every team will be using it pretty quickly. I think I heard Harold Reynolds or someone on MLB Network say the same thing. Right now it's like 15 of 30 teams are using it. Harold was like, yeah, by the end of the season, everyone's going to use it. It just makes more sense. It's more practical. And paranoia drives a lot. Harder to steal signs. That's probably the bigger reasons for it. And I think by the end of the year, uh, once the Kings get sorted out, everyone ends up using it. Tigers are not using it right now, though. Tucker Barnhart uh, did not like it. I think the issues the White Sox had with it will not make them more willing to use pitchcom anytime soon. Um, but basically, you know, a way for the catcher to relay um, signs to the pitcher without having to actually put down physical signs. In theory, it could eliminate um, getting crossed up too. So I think there are a lot of benefits of it. I don't know exactly why it wasn't working because all this technology we have that is supposed to work sometimes just doesn't <laughs> work. So Yeah, we know that. Anyone who's used Zoom for work or anything yeah. else, those knows why doesn't this thing work why does this technology it's supposed to work i turned on the vacuum it's not working why is it not working it's supposed to work i i I turned on mlb the show and i'm just like stuck at the loading screen and i'm like you know (laughs) i understand i know this happened when i had a ps2 when i was like seven years old you know you know what happened (laughs) We're like, we're, it, that was like 15 years ago, man, like, or, or longer. Like, that was a long time ago. I feel like in 2022, we should have a, a game that doesn't just freeze. 
Same with your computer. Same, yeah, hopefully you'd have a vacuum that works, but that's not. I guess maybe that's a lot of the people's argument for robo-umps, which we saw with Spencer Torkelson, like, why do we not have robo-umps? But as you've pointed out before, you know, I guess the robo-ump doesn't work. Suddenly that's a pretty big problem. So Yeah. Well, we'll get, we'll, we'll get. And then as I say, we, we put a man on the moon. We put a man, we have these airplanes. I don't understand how airplanes work, man. Commercial <laughs> flights, that's insane. How do these pilots know how to navigate? We have these this technology that makes it to where pilots basically have to do nothing. But yeah, we can't get a pitch comm system to work. Like what's the what's the difference yeah, there? I don't know. I don't know. It's not my realm. But it's crazy. The engineers need to start working on baseball. And <laughs> you know, I, I've made the joke to you before. We'll let's go into a little up umpire talk uh, right now. I did not think really any of those games were that well called. Uh and, bad. and and not either side like there was you know the outside fastball for a right-handed hitter was a strike here but not a strike here and you know the Torkelson thing that you uh you shared on Twitter today it was like he took zero swings and he struck out <laughs> and, and one of the balls one was of the balls was, yeah <laughs> awful one of the worst and I've ever seen the um- umpire's not doing a consistent job uh, to me, I've said this to you before off uh, off the podcast. It's kind of like having a rude person checking you out at the grocery store. It's like you do know that we're really almost there to where your job is non-existent. And if you're going to make this worse, you're not really doing the service uh, good. And anytime like I see just like bad umpiring, uh, calling calling a game, I'm like, you know, you're not making this better for yourself. And the whole, this isn't in regards to calling a game, but I guess the umpire made the correct call. But if we're gonna if it's we're gonna point. say that what Jamer did was interference on opening day, we're uh, you're gonna have to show me any slide in the second base when there's a double play being turned that's not interference yeah like we're 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 if that's the definition we're gonna have to expand the times that we call interference but that was just my opinion do you have one on that? um i agree exactly with what aj hinch said i think the rule was interpreted correctly and called correctly jamer um did kind of slide over the bag he did this weird roll to the left by the letter of the law that does qualifies i think for interference i also think that's a stupid rule um Clearly, there was not malicious intent with that slide. If a guy's coming in, spikes up or sliding blatantly way out of the baseline or whatever, you know what? Yeah, let's call that. We don't need to be getting people hurt. That slide, again, as AJ said, was a a, a harmless slide. I'm not sure if he even intended to kind of go past the bag or do the little roll thing that he did. You know, for it to really be clean, he just needed to slide straight and basically pop up. and, And, you know, it could have been... A more perfect slide, uh, but it was not a malicious slide. I, I think that is goes almost against the spirit of why that rule is there, and um, so that's how I think. Like I wouldn't, I'm not going to argue with uh, the interpretation of the call because that's what the rule says. I think the problem is more with the rule itself. Yeah, because even if you like, even a pop up slide could be potentially dangerous. So because sure. like, he yeah. he could not have slid in more cleat down. Right. That was as cleat down a slide as, as you could have. And 
Yeah, because the only alternative is the pop up. But if you pop up, like I said, you could you could hit him, you could run into him, you could potentially get hit by the ball, depending on the timing, you know, or at least the arm, yeah. you know, being thrown or whatever. So that was one of those things where uh, a lot of times when like an infraction is called in any sport, I kind of think, well, what do you want him to do in right. that situation? Right. And in my opinion, that was one of those things where it's like, it, with, the rule is this, like, what do you want him to do in that situation? Right. And, and that play was almost close. Like one of the reasons he slid is because there was somewhat of a play at the back. Like he was going to be out, but he, you know, the guy's running hard to second. He can't just suddenly stop himself. I almost wonder if that's part of the reason for the little roll. Like he was probably trying to slow himself down from sliding yeah, even further past the bag. Once he kind of realized, okay, he was going to be out, you know? Um, so yeah, flaw, some flaws in the rules there for sure. But that also added to because that was a big play too. Because yeah. you know, oh, would have been <clears throat> that. That was one of those things where I was like, man, if you're not getting that break, I'm not sure you know the game's going yeah. in your favor there. Obviously, and it ended up not being the case. Um, let's talk about Javi Bias. Uh, we got in three games. So when we 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 talked about how it's only three games, we don't need to make any rash like uh, judgments here. You know what? We got in three games exactly what Javi Baez is. It's actually kind of impressive. Like, it's kind of oh, impressive yeah. to just in three games just get, like, the entire picture of Javier Baez. Uh, the, the good, uh, the bad, and I guess the ugly. Um, he was 100% as advertised. He's got the flair. He, like, every time he takes, like, a huge hack, and if he, like, misses, you're like, oh, man. And or and, and, and when he connects, um, that fly ball he had in game one to, uh, to left field, Dan thought it was gone. And I think that's just Dan sort of just reacting to like the the swing you yeah know? it was just the violence he... of the swing more than the actual contact for sure yeah, yeah. because he because it, it looks gone every time he uh every time he connects with that even if it's 15 feet in front of the fence but it, it definitely does look that um he made some spectacular defensive plays also lapsed a couple times i had a throwing error today uh, I don't remember if they that one that went underneath his glove on Saturday. I don't remember. Did they call that an error? No, that wasn't an error. Okay, but it was one of those it things was... where you, you were like, it was a makeable play for someone of his ability. I guess is how I would call it. I'm not saying it should have been an here, error. Here, it was a yeah, it, I, I definitely wouldn't have scored that an error, and I score a lot of things an error. Um, if we're talking, it was it was hit up the middle to his glove side, and my view, he kind of did this slide. Because he was going, it was a double play ball, and yeah. the only way he could have fielded the ball and flipped the ball the second without his momentum carrying the other way was to do this slide, which increased the difficulty of the play tenfold, and that's why he didn't make the play. Uh, if he would have, you know, stayed up, fielded the ball, I think he could have settled for one out and and gloved the ball and stayed on his feet and made the play. So it was it was. Being Javi going for a little extra that I think let that ball end up going through. You get no outs. That's that's what you're going to get with this guy. If he makes well, that play, we're all praising it. You know, it wasn't the safest approach, and that's who Javi Baez is. Well, he's not a... Well, yeah, the two S words are not in his vocabulary. Safe and settle. Yeah. And the same could be said of... Um, 
trying to score on that pass ball. Uh, I'm I'm I don't know if I'm in the minority here. Cody, I but... actually didn't like that at all. I thought that was okay. All right, straight well, up reckless. Let me get my... Okay, straight up reckless. But if we're talking about having this team having to sort of like grind out some wins, and we're talking about like hobby, hobby being hobby, it was actually a really good play by the pitcher and the catcher to it's terrific yeah it was to, 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 to tag them out it, it could not have gone any better nine times out of ten that defensive play is not that smooth so I don't hate it I not gonna disagree to say that it's reckless especially given the situation and uh, and the score but I'm, I also decided I'm not I wouldn't like if we were on radio the next day i wouldn't like kill him for it like yeah. I, I just think that's that, that's one of those plays where i'm just generally speaking uh, especially with this team i'm not gonna kill somebody for being aggressive yeah um if i were javi buys his manager i don't think i would chew him out i don't think i would even talk to him that much about it i think that's very much how joe madden uh managed javi Baez. i think david ross probably tried to rein him in a little bit at times and that that didn't super work I'm very interested to see how AJ Hinch handles this because AJ is not really a guy who likes fundamental mistakes or basically, you know, dumb baseball plays. Not that to call Javi a dumb baseball player is the greatest baseball IQ of anyone, but, you know, kind of a mental, what ultimately is a mental error when you get thrown out. Um, so, how does AJ handle that while you still let Javi be in Javi? I. Really, I'm not sure. I mean, I think AJ definitely has an innate understanding generally of what each guy needs. But Javi's style is not necessarily the AJ Hinch style of baseball. I mean, maybe it is. He's aggressive. We've seen AJ like to be aggressive. Um, my personal opinion, like, you're on third base with no one out. I'm not going home unless I know that ball's hitting the backstop. You know, one out, two outs. Okay, you know what? That changes it. Nobody out. You know, even Javi was like, Miggy was up. Miggy is actually, like, arguably one of the worst hitters in your order. But he's not a high strikeout guy. Like, Miggy gives you a good chance to put that ball in play. Um, I just didn't think it was a necessary risk at that moment in the game. Maybe even in the later innings, if you're scratching for one run, I could be more on board with it. In that particular setting, um, I did not think it was at all worth the gamble. Well, it ended up being a little bit of a mood killer. Yeah. Not a little bit. It was a mood killer. But it's like that. It's like the scope play in Toronto last year. Like for every one of those you get, you're gonna get one that works, and that's what the Tigers signed up for when they signed Javi Baez. Uh, I hope the fans aren't surprised. I tried to warn you, and we're not done. This is how it's gonna be all year. <laughs> it's gonna give us a lot to talk about. <laughs> well, for sure, and you know he he ends up hitting uh, four for twelve in the series. Uh, could have had two home runs in theory like there were there were some balls that uh three like different might... balls to the track i mean yeah. in the summer i maybe all three of those are gone i don't know yeah because you know the, the lazy thing is the comerica park thing but i think the weather probably had as much to do with that than right than anything else i don't know what the wind was but i believe that that had to have been a fact yeah it was definitely not thick blowing air. out and the thick air and the cold and i don't understand what all goes into park effect but comerica was the worst um run scoring environment in terms of like how the elements or whatever affected um 
fly to the ball affected teams' ability to score runs. Uh, it wasn't the least hitter-friendly park in baseball. Um, and again, we've talked about that. It's actually more friendly to hitters than a lot of people think. And it wasn't so much the dimensions that killed any of home, his home runs, just as the wall, as the way the ball travels in Comerica, just like the balls in Colorado tend to fly out of the park. The balls in Detroit um, don't carry well. I think the way the wind kind of tunnels between the, the first and second deck impacts it. And there's more that, that I'm not smart enough to explain, but, um, <laughs> yeah, you know, well, so, so hobby, you know, like he, he makes the defensive plays. He, he has the clutch hits, uh, you got an output suitable of your number one free agent acquisition, uh, your number one, I guess, I don't know, maybe your number one trade acquisition, maybe not, depending on how you think of it, but the latest one, Austin Meadows, who I'm going to do what Dan did throughout the course of this, this season, and I'm going to call him Parker a million times. He <laughs> called, and, and he joked about it, he goes, I'm going to do it, you know, it's just, you know, it's just natural when, you know, the, the brother's been in the system for a couple of years, uh, but Austin Meadows, uh, I thought was... Remarkable is not the right word, but I was like, man, you got a guy who really came good. from. I mean, you got a guy who he looks like a guy who came from a winning situation and was a good player in a winning organization, and he just kind of went about his business. I actually kind of think uh, let's, let's let's see how this fits for you, Cody. Austin Meadows, Robbie Grossman two point question mark. I there's more Robbie Grossman in his game than I realized. I kind of thought he was. A lot of pop and and um, not necessarily. I, I just did not think his pl- at bats would be so gritty. I did not think the quality of his at bats would always be so high. Uh, I think he's got more pop than Robbie Grossman, you know. Uh, but his plate approach reminded me a lot of Grossman, and I didn't. I didn't really know that. I was highly impressed, and you know, AJ Hinch said Kevin Cash was like, "Yeah, this is what you're gonna get. He's not just um, um, all power like." he puts together quality competitive at bats all the time. And so that's, that's awesome. And that's something I definitely did not realize the magnitude of. And man, what a, what a boost for your order. If he continues just even having that approach. Um, I think that's huge. Yeah. I mean, I don't think, uh, I don't think he was high on the gambling list of, uh, first tiger to get a triple, uh, which he, and a stand-up triple at that, a stand-up triple, um, and and a key spot. Obviously, I was I came away very impressed with him. But some of the other stuff was as advertised. He didn't look like the most fluid of fielder. Uh, then wasn't really impressed with his routes. Uh, you know, going after balls and uh, definitely not the most natural of runners. Uh, when you <laughs> when you see him go after, I assume that was a hit and run that he uh, was. Uh, they got caught stealing on, or maybe it was just a situation where if you I don't get know caught what the stealing, hell that was. it was O two. I yeah, I think that was another. I think that was another being a little too aggressive. Like as much as, again, think of it works out. So O two, they have a pretty good idea. Sliders coming, and say so he gets a good jump and he's one, and then it's one two runner on second. Who's up? Jamer. Jamer punches a ball in the gap. Well, then you get a run. Then it's a two one game instead of a two zero game. I think that's what they were thinking, really trying to be aggressive, take advantage of a breaking ball count. I wouldn't uh, – I guess it could have been a hit and run on 0-2 if they just weren't 
confident in Jamer at all. I don't I don't really know. It was it was weird. I think they were just well, uh some, thought they had an opportunity you, to get a guy on yeah. second. That's what I think. Yeah. Well, sometimes you you you, you get a base deal attempt especially if you got a hitter in the hole and you think like, well, if he if he's out then we start with yeah. this part of the lineup next inning and it's not, you know, sometimes that's part of the calculation. Um but yeah, I don't think I would have had him on. Uh, was that the first? That was was that the first steal attempt too of this season? Ooh, uh, uh, good question. First, only one that's come to my mind. I think it was. Yeah. So Austin Meadows. Yeah, wouldn't have been my guess. <laughs> yeah, first triple, first uh, stolen base attempt uh, for the Tigers. Who would have thought? Um, but yeah, like those we already talked about, Eduardo. Um, and, and Tucker, but overall, like the, the new guys, and if you want to throw in for opening day roster, obviously Eric Haas had uh, had some nice plays, and obviously the key home run. You know, new guys to the opening day roster. You know, you, you like the returns there. Um, let's talk about Spencer Torkelson before we forget. Hitless um, so far. You mentioned his defense. I actually really did, and of course, as soon as I was like, "Oh man, his defense looks pretty good," he like, you know. He, he, he can't track a, a, a foul ball, which, you know, it's not the easiest play in the world. I don't – was that ruled in error? I don't know if uh, – it, no, it was MLB it was, fielding it was a foul errors. ball, so no. But, but yeah, but uh, but I guess would you consider that an error, I guess, is more of yeah, question, it was, Yes, yes, it should have been an yeah. out, yeah. It's not the easiest thing to do, like run backward, track a ball. Uh, but, but he – on Baez's best play, he kind of bailed him out. He bailed out Jamer a couple times. I thought he looked – we didn't really talk about his defense all that much other than, like, obviously he's not a third baseman. But he looked like a guy who could be, at worst, average defensively at first base to me. And I think upside's better there. He made a diving catch as well. He's yeah. very athletic. People keep saying above average, and I agree. I mean, I thought – you know, when they were first experimenting with him at third, I was really looking at his movements. And I think he had the athleticism, the range for third. I don't know. I think the Tigers liked his hands. I wasn't as sure about his hands or just his overall fielding instincts. But his athleticism is no problem. And I think he had very good first base instincts. Like his strides to me were exceptional. And it's hard to even put into words but if you've ever played in the infield like you just know when a first baseman can give a well-timed stride that the ball hits his glove a little sooner but a lot of guys i think jamer when jamer was playing with um, first base struggled with this badly he would stride too early basically lock his feet on the ground and so if the throw is even just barely offline he has no no mobility torque kind of catches it in stride as he's reaching out but it still allows himself some flexibility uh he impressed me multiple multiple times with that i was i thought that was super good i'm actually pretty excited about watching him play first a little more so some goofy stuff like the fly ball and then sunday there was kind of a grounder like Beginning right after he he punched out and he booted it. He ended up getting the out still, but it was kind of kicked it around, you know. I think there's still some goofiness there, but I think he's going to be a real good defensive first baseman. Yeah, well, you know, it's a lot of that comes down to being able to read the trajectory of the ball, right? Yeah, and that's something that is considered his strength as Position. a hitter. Yeah. Um, let's talk about the Ofer. Uh, one of my one of my impressions with him so if, was hold on. If we wanted to be a popular podcast, 
you know, I think, I think you should start screaming, you know, maybe personally insult him. You know, you're the number one overall yeah. pick and you make this much money and you don't get a hit in your first major, eight major league at bats. You know, that's, uh, should, should the Tigers trade Torkelson? Should, should they trade him? I had, I, I had a guy tell me they should trade, uh, Casey Mize, which it's like, okay. So if Mize is so bad that you want him off the team, then he's not going to get you much in a trade if he's as bad as you're telling me <laughs> that Casey Mize is. And then he blamed it on the mainstream media. And I was like, what, since when, like, was it? All right. Anyway, it's Oracles. Uh. Oh, beat writers are quote unquote mainstream media because y'all are beat writers. Y'all are there. Like, but does really should not be using any of those terms. I, like, I don't know to, what the OAN of, of well, sports writing well, is. But. We, we can go, that, that, that could be a rabbit hole to go down for, uh, hours, but, but, um, I did kind of feel like he was pressing, uh, which is natural. It's your first, you know, first couple games in the big leagues. He came up in that big spot in the, uh, in the, is the eighth or ninth inning game one. And he's, and he struck out and he kind of like slammed yeah. his bat. He slammed his bat a couple times. You could tell yeah, that he that was, was actually the most emotional I've ever seen him. Mm-hmm. So, uh, in a, in a way, uh, I was kind of like, okay, well, he just he just needs to get that hit, That's and then I once think. I think w- once he gets that hit, he'll be able to relax and and if, if if there is sort of any residuals that go into his defense, you know, those things won't matter. Uh, yeah, he obviously played all three games, but I did like AJ kind of coming out on Saturday, being like, look, there are gonna be days he's not gonna play. It's not because he went zero for four or four for four, like. It's baked into the cake. Thought that was important to kind of put out there mm-hmm. um, uh, for as as the manager. I thought he was seeing the ball well. I thought his I thought the pitches that he took like okay so like that one that we referenced earlier where uh, the four pitch strikeout where he didn't swing once and only one of them kind of looked like a strike. The way hitters are taught now, it's not necessarily about like quote unquote protecting the plate. The way they're taught is that if it's a borderline pitch and you can't do anything with it, you're a lot of times better off just taking it and hoping you get the ball. And let's not worry about like the stigma of a looking strikeout. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And I so that's it's like a modern approach to hitting. I thought he actually saw the ball real well this uh, this weekend. Oh, I, I yeah, I could talk about. I also got some just awful replies to the the crazy strikeout call. Like the last thing I would want to do is have my suppose you know power hitter of the future um, trying to like punch o one outside pitches <laughs> the other way and then you know protect the play like. I think major league hitters should not be expected to swing at balls. If I'm coaching JV baseball and I know the umpire is just some idiot who, you know, I probably like went to college with, I'm saying, you know what, you better protect the plate, you know, try to punch something the other way, battle, foul, you know, all that stuff. In the major so leagues. You get an error. Yeah, and then in the major leagues with Spencer Torkelson, I do not even want him thinking that way. In fact, that might be counterproductive to his mindset. I would like to see him be, um, I don't know, be able to take his walks and, and be selective and aggressive when he does get that pitch. I don't think he Which needs he to did. be. I don't think he needs to be overthinking um, all of this. Yeah. Yeah, and 
Does he have two walks, one walk? I mean, like I said, he he, he looks like three walks, th- three walks. So he look, he didn't connect on a base hit or anything like that. But in terms of like the scouting report on the approach, it was one hundred percent what we saw, and it, it and it's it's baseball. And then when you talk about how we started out professionally last year. Uh, he's going to figure it out. You're more like if there were signs that he was like lunging all the time and he yeah. just wasn't. Then, then we can talk about concerns. But I have zero concern for Spencer Torkelson uh, right now. I thought he he looked like exactly the player that I thought better defensively, obviously as we talked about. But in terms of the hitter, he looked exactly what we were told he was going to look like. He just happened to not get a hit. I don't know. Like it happens. Yeah, I kind of agree. I mean, I. I don't know. I think there is going to be a day where this guy comes into his own and has confidence and just starts putting the barrel on the ball anytime guys come into the strike zone. Um, I think getting that first hit could be huge. This is where you start talking about the human element. I don't think three games is a big enough sample, but after you know, 20, 25 at-bats, 30 at-bats, if he's really struggling, you don't, you don't want the kid to just beat the hell out of himself like that's when it can be counterproductive um as aj said this day off he'll probably get a day off one day in the boston series maybe even monday harold castro will play first base that's pre-planned but I, I do think that could be kind of good timing maybe give him a day flush it clear his mind guys one pitch away from you know stinging a ball in the gap or i mean when he touches the ball it it, it travels you know um and I think he'll be fine. I think I think three games is too soon to worry, uh, but I do hope it corrects. You know, maybe in the next series, it's just not something you want to linger to the point you have to think about. Do we send him down just so he, um, you know, doesn't go crazy basically? And again, Torkelson's demeanor. I do think he was pressing a little bit at the plate, and we did see more motion. But I think he can handle this, man. I think he's. I think. I think this time next week, uh, we're going to be talking about like, oh, Torkelson had a couple nice hits. Yeah, it's actually is interesting to see how AJ kind of handles that because I guess there's an argument. The flushing thing is, is a worthwhile discussion, but I guess there's also an argument to be made that maybe you play playing him every one day, more yeah. game to, to, to get that hit and yeah. then give him set off day just to, so he doesn't have to think about you know being hitless. Uh, so I, I, I could be sold true. on either, that's true. either direction on that. Um, concern level, if at any at all, for uh, Kiel Badu, who's also hitless uh, two games in. No, um, AJ put it well again. There was a ball he hit to right field that like almost got down. If it gets down, it would have been like a two RBI double. And then we're talking about oh, another timely hit from Akil Badu. Like this is a, a a game with a lot of fine lines. Um, he had a couple at bats that weren't his best he was also crushing the ball in spring training like when when he um you know was managing the strike zone the right way i'm not worried about a cue at all i'm worried about a cue against lefties um i don't his at bats are worse his swing like he doesn't have the pop against lefties but overall like this you know no i'm not worried about i'm not worried about anyone after three games it's just way too small of a sample to judge when we start getting 20 30 games in we can we can have these discussions but uh, no and you know what he did make quality contact at least once i'm not worried about Akil in the slightest he did make a couple of highlight plays defensively he did he, did. he made um, one, one very nice catch um i don't know 
he had that kind of tweener one with him. Was, was it Scope or Baez? I think it was Scope that he kind of had the slide in at the last second uh, to, to catch. I Watching it on TV, you don't always get the best interpretation of, uh, uh, of routes and all that stuff. But center field-wise, I'm not saying let's see if he can be the everyday center fielder, but it was better than I was sort of anticipating given what we uh, had talked about last week. Yeah, there was no, there were no glaring mistakes. I think there was one ball to the right center gap. I just thought he was really slow getting to. Um, otherwise, it worked out just fine. Again, three games, who knows, but definitely wasn't like glaringly bad in center by any means in fact as you pointed out he made a couple very nice plays i did like uh i did like victor Reyes's approach you know he obviously he had the triple there but again only one game not gonna overreact but uh it was nice to see it was nice to see especially again the dire situation in the outfield right now uh if you could get that occasionally for when you gotta put victor Reyes in i thought that was that was also nice to see and um, you know, he, he just looks like such a good ball player. You know, he's, he's tall and he's got like a, like, like a thin, like muscular frame though. And he's got a nice stride at the plate. Looks like he runs well. looks like a receiver running. It's, it, it, I've been on records. Like we kind of know what he is, but then when I see him on the field, I'm like, God, but could there be another level? Could there be another level of Victor Reyes? I don't know. Probably not. But um, I'm not a big next level Reyes believer I think he's he's fine for what he is and uh you know if he hits a, a triple gets the ball in the air a little more I don't think he's ever going to do it super consistently but hey for now guy hit you a timely triple that's great good job Victor. yeah it's good uh it's good to have in a in a fourth outfielder for sure um you got yourself a AJ Hinch suggestion box I have one Nothing's nothing's really jumping to mind. Again, I think a little too small of a sample. I don't, I'm not trying to change anything. I want to see this play out a little longer before I start throwing my suggestions in there. So um, you go and then and then come back to me. So I agree, and that's why I sort of was looking at this as like a tweak for the hell of it, just to kind of see. It was it was kind of my my thought process, and I mentioned that. Austin Meadows, you know, kind of Robbie Grossman 2.0, and I'm looking at the Yankees batting Josh Donaldson in leadoff, and I was like, you know, what what about Austin Meadows? Maybe if he, like, flipped Grossman and Meadows in the lineup, you're getting a hitter with a similar approach. Um, I, I I would deem... Robbie more athletic than Meadows, but uh, so so you might lose a little bit there for your traditional kind of leadoff thing. But if you're gonna put Robbie there, you're obviously not just trying to put a burner at number one, right? So Robbie also has some pop to his bat. Like I don't know if it really changes all that much, but why not give it a try if you can get if you can get Meadows on, you know, give him more at bats essentially, just one spot, but you know, just give him more at bats. I don't know. I think it might be worth a try. I think he proved himself the patient enough hitter that it's worthwhile. And then if you have Robbie with the ability to watch an at bat with a patient hitter right before him, I, in theory, that could help his approach as well. 
Uh, and then, you know, obviously you set up with the Baezes and Jamer and Cabrera and all that stuff behind them. I don't know. Might be something worth exploring. Yeah, not a bad suggestion at all. I think, in theory, you probably go Meadows, too, because at least against right-handed pitching, he's going to have a little more power. So if Grossman gets on, maybe Meadows is more likely to score Grossman than Grossman is to score Meadows. Although you could argue that that's kind of like not a real notion because if, say, Meadows hits a double, Grossman hits a single, like, you know, um, Meadows could score in a Grossman single. I don't know. You know, I, I think it's fine as they are, one, two. I would say a minor suggestion. I think AJ already knows this. I wouldn't, uh, even if Akil gets hot, I don't think I would move him back up there. I think Meadows and Grossman are are the guys you need to be up there for the time being, and I wouldn't mess with that unless maybe Riley Green appears and proves he should be like a, a number two hitter. Uh, I'm also going to go Dusty Baker's suggestion box because speaking of batting orders, we saw Mr. Dusty Baker hit Nico Goodrum third. And Kyle Tucker <laughs> was hitting sixth. And I heard from a couple about who covers the Astros. And I heard from, I didn't hear from, I just saw on like a lot of Astros fans on Twitter losing their minds. And I don't blame them. Uh, Nico went 0 for 3 with only one strikeout. Former Tiger, great Nico Goodrum. Dusty Baker's suggestion box. Don't, don't do that again, man. If you want to play Nico, that's fine. Don't hit him third. Why would you hit him third? And then he was saying something about, like, Kyle Tucker. Well, he wants guys on base in front of Kyle Tucker, so that's why he's hitting sixth. And it's like... No, I think you want him, like, at the top of the order so he can get on base or he can drive in, like, your top two hitters. I think that is... I watched that video and just my head hurt afterward, and I was like... I was like... I mean, I respect Dusty Baker and everything he's done in the game. I think he has a case for the Hall of Fame, but I was like, glad I cover AJ and not Dusty Baker. Well, you know, and this is going to sound like piling on Nico, and I don't mean to do that. Yeah, I know. I'm being mean to Nico and to Dusty. I don't want to, but, like, it was kind of, there were a lot of Astros people that were, like, kind of, like, hyping. It's like, oh, we got Nico Goodrum, you know? And I was like, uh, you know, that... Here's, my, here's my thing with Nico and why I'm a little more prone to be a little, um... Yeah, fucking like why I'm prone to be a little more mean to him than than other players, like because I don't think he had much self awareness. Like Nico continually like talked about like wanting to be the shortstop, and I think he really, uh, I just don't think he had a lot of self awareness about his game. Yeah, well, self awareness is the key. Uh, any before we get out of here, any uh, any thoughts on the upcoming? matchups uh we get to see manning for the first time we get to see tyler alexander for the first time facing uh, a red sox team that uh, is also potent so no no breaks from potent offenses uh god manning i feel like every time he's in a big spot he's always up against a really good i know <laughs> it's it that one scares me you just had three pretty bad starts and now you got matt manning who was the worst of your pitchers in spring against boston I'm a little nervous about that uh and now I'm like, I think there's a really high percentage that first time through the rotation, your best start is going to come from Tyler Alexander. And so I'm going to, I'm going to keep, I'm like, why are we trying to take this guy out of the rotation? Like, is, is Michael Pineda really going to be better than Tyler Alexander? And I guess I get it for the depth and moving him to the bullpen. He can be more versatile, but maybe we need to stop trying to replace this guy. Don't be surprised when he goes out there 
pitches six six innings, allows two or three runs, you know, five strikeouts. Nothing spectacular, but it's going to be your best start. I can, it's shaping up that way already. So, yeah, that's true. That's true. And uh, what are we looking at with Pineda next week? Um, he's going to start again in Toledo, and I don't think there's a real call on what's going to happen after that. I think it's kind of see how he looks in this next Toledo outing. He probably goes a little longer, and then see if if you want to bring him up or let him go one more in Toledo. I think we'll see Willie Peralta. Um, in the big leagues pretty soon, maybe by like the Kansas City series out of the bullpen. All right. Well, looking forward to that. Um, it's marquee to start the season. You got the defending uh, division champs, and you have a team that, uh, surpri- by the way, started off awful last season, made their way, and, uh, and, and made had themselves a little bit of a playoff run too. So not the same. They're the same, but... Just another reminder. Everybody relax. No, nothing really needs to be decided right now. But uh, Tiger's definitely going through the fire to begin the season, so it'll be a good litmus test to see, you know, how good they are, where their flaws are, and and you know, glad that they're at home. At least they they got that. At least for one more series. So, anything else you want to add, Cody? I think that covers it. All right. Well, it was great to watch real. Baseball, I kept thinking like my timeline was a week behind, you know, I was like, you know, I was like, normally I get to watch games on my birthday, I didn't get to do that this year because the season started late, you know, so uh, it was great to hear Dan, it was great to, you know, see you tweeting uh, analysis, you know, live and being there and talking about people drinking beer and all that stuff, I think I speak for everybody when I say more beer content, if you did a, did a walk around the the stadium and sort of got like a beer uh, meter. I, I don't think anybody would complain about that. Put that on Twitter. You can follow Cody on Twitter at Cody Stavenhagen. I am at Kieran underscore Steckley. Our pod page is at Turn Corner Pod. So Red Sox, then Royals. We'll see what some bigger but still small sample size uh, looks like for this team. Encouraging signs. The flaws we anticipated also there. We'll see if they can kind of gut out some wins or. You know, it'd be nice maybe if they could uh, have a no doubter sort of like what they gave up on uh, on Sunday. That would that would be reassuring for the fans everywhere. So, thank you everybody for listening. Please subscribe, rate, and review Apple, Spotify. Follow us on Twitter, and hope you guys enjoy the show. So for Cody Stavenhagen, I am Kieran Steckley. Everybody have a great week.